The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, thequantedge.com. You heard me you know, push their product early in the football season. Now it's MLB DFS baseball season, and I'm lucky enough to be riding four to five times a week over at the Quant Edge. The fantasy DGens will stay the same, but the Quant Edge will get an extra hitter breakdown a day for me four to five times a week. Plus, quick hits will be over there for free on both avenues. So go check it out, and if you want to get the season MLB DFS package with everyone's articles, all the amazing tools they have, go check it out and use promo code Bubba for a free $25 off the season package. Go to thequantedge.com, sign up for the MLB DFS season package, use the code Bubba for a free $25 off the season package. Also, go check out mybookie.ag, awesome place to make your sports bets. March Madness is in full effect. Go make all your picks there. Go get your MLB to win the World Series totals and all the bets coming up there. If you go to the Quant Edge, they have a betting tool. So go to mybookie.ag, use promo code BENCHED. Promo code BENCHED will get you a 50% first-time deposit bonus up to $1,000. Deposit $100, get a free $50. $500, free 250 So mybookie.ag, promo code BENCHED. Also, if you give a rating and review over on iTunes, I'd much, much appreciate it. It would help out a ton. Uh, there's been a lot of recent news in MLB since the recording. Just so you know, tonight's recording with Brian Bloomfield was done on Tuesday because he's a busy man with Baseball HQ, so I wanted to get it in before he had to leave for more business to attend to. But since then, Eloy Jimenez, contract extension, expect him up starting opening day. That definitely moves him up the rankings, probably a top 25 outfielder come draft day. There's some closer situations that are getting on lockdown. Uh, Alex Colome, Hunter Strickland's been crushing it in Japan. Stuff to look at there. Some some starting situations are becoming a little more clear. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Peralta are all in the Brewers starting rotation. So you don't have to pick and choose there. And much, much more. Follow my Twitter feed, at BDentric, for news with that. And we'll also break it down much, much more on next Tuesday's episode for that information. But until then, thanks for listening. If you give a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. But welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 155 with Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 155. We're going to talk to a good friend of ours. He's been on the show a couple times. He's been a very, very active individual in the expert draft forum and his first NFBC main event, all that good stuff. And you can find his work over on Baseball HQ. He's on Twitter at RyanBHQ. Ryan Bloomfield, how are we doing, my friend? Doing pretty good, Bubba. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, I, I think I finally recovered from, from Towers Weekend in New York City. It's a long way across the country both ways. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I was very impressed with you because people go, why don't you just go and hang out? And I'm like, okay, that's that's quite the hike to go hang out, especially if you're not drafting. Like, at least you you had plans, you were doing things. So, um, yeah, yeah it's it, it's been fun watching your uh, your Twitter for about the last, I'd say, two or three months as you keep getting the news. Like, okay, you're in this league. You got an invite to this one. You've had, you've had a big uh, month of March, big month. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's it's been a whirlwind. Uh, I, I've been with I've been with Baseball HQ since uh, since 2012, so I've been there a while and just kind of working at it, working at it, and it all kind of came together this year with expert league invites and first labor, first tout, and uh, I guess you don't have to be invited for the main event NFBC, but uh, you do have to fork out some cash. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got you got you to bring the coin with you for that one. Uh, and the labor was, the labor's the kind of draft I can do where you got to do it uh, from your own confines. You didn't have to go all the way to Arizona, I don't believe. So uh, right. that that made it a little easier. But yeah, that, that that's pretty cool. Um, what what is it? Like, I know you've earned your your way into these. Like you said, you've been with Baseball HQ since 2012. But um, with all the guys there, you know, Ron Chandler and uh, Brett Sayre and and so many guys there you're probably what the seventh, sixth, seventh guy now baseball HQ doing these expert drafts. Yeah, probably something like that. Um, with, I know with labor, Ray Murphy had been in the, the mixed league uh, and raised one of the, one of the two co GMs along with Brent Hershey on, at, at baseball HQ. He had been in labor mixed uh, since its inception. Uh, I think back in like 2006, something like that. And uh, emailed me in December and, and asked if I you know wanted to take over the reins and uh, it was a great email to get wanted to uh, wanted to thank Ray for that and pretty easy answer to say yes, yes. Um, and then with, with Tout Wars they expanded a little bit this year had an extra draft and hold league I believe and uh, and asked if I wanted to go to New York City so um, certainly helps to kind of work your way up, get to know people and, and, and have, have folks vouch for you and get you into these things. Cause sometimes it's pretty, pretty tough and, and long, long time coming to get in. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. That's why I was wondering how it all went. Cause there's so many really, really quality guys over there. And I was wondering how like the, 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 you know, hand down or how it worked out there. So it's really cool that, that they thought of you when it came down to it. Cause uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely one of the, the good guys in this deal and seeing you when it kind of, it's fun for a lot of us other guys that are, Kind of dwindling around it, and and we all know each other, but seeing some new new blood that we kind of relate to getting in these, it's it's pretty fun to watch and root for. So that's why I want to have you on. I want to kind of get your first impressions of these drafts because they're all a little different. Uh, we'll start with labor. Uh, like I said, you got to do this one online. It was a mixed labor draft. Um, when you went into it, you were the sixth pick in the draft, which is what I had in TGFBI, but a different draft. What was kind of your mindset going into this one? Yeah, so labor, uh, like, like you said, Bubba, it makes league. The thing with labor, it's pretty early. 
not not as early as some of the uh, the fantasy baseball crazies like me back and started drafting in December and whatnot. But this happened in, in early February or mid February, I should say, before spring training, before any of that stuff. So you're a little bit drafting blind. You've got some ADP data, but you haven't really seen anybody in spring training. You haven't really heard how rehabs are going or see anybody play. So you're 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 very early. I had the sixth spot, like you said. Um, at that time, Trout Betts, and then Trout Betts still are one, two. Jose Ramirez was, at the time, the, the, the de facto number three guy. I wanted Max Scherzer. I, I went back and forth. We had our draft slots a couple of weeks ahead of time. And, and the sixth pick was really interesting. There were, and this you've probably heard this on, on other podcasts. Uh, I've, I've heard this throughout the preseason, really from you know picks like four to 20. The, there's a lot of similar guys, a lot of good bats. Um, and a lot of places that I could take that six pick. So I really came down to like three different guys. I could go Max Scherzer, um, who, who if available, would be my guy. But then I also had to do some plan Bs and Cs because I don't want to be completely dumbfounded on my expert league debut. So I mapped <laughs> out uh, kind of the first five rounds uh, around a first-round pick of Scherzer, a first-round pick of J.D. Martinez, Christian Yelich, and Trey Turner. All of those guys have vastly different profiles. So if I'm taking Trey Turner first, I don't need to build up speed in rounds, you know, two through four, that sort of thing. If I'm taking J.D. Martinez first, I absolutely do have to worry about speed um, in the next few rounds. So it was fun to kind of play all those what-if games. And with the sixth pick, you know you're going to get somebody really good um, and, and, and go from there. But, yeah, I started with Max Scherzer and was happy to get him. I would take him number three overall, honestly, um, in 15-team mixed leagues right now. Couple questions for what you were saying there. First off, you said you take him number three. Jose Ramirez went number three, and and you said, yeah, at this point in the season, what you what I think you were hinting at is we've seen him fall quite a bit in um, you know some of the expert drafts, TGFBI drafts, main event drafts. He's not falling out of the first round by any means, but it seemed like you know in January and February it was no doubt Jose Ramirez is a third, he's a steal. We're seeing him fall. Do you agree with this fall, or is this kind of just a weird? Everyone's trying to be different. They like their guys. Yeah, um, not really. I, I I think Jose Ramirez is the third best hitter. Um, so my, my top four would be Trout, Betts, Scherzer, Jose Ramirez. Yes, he was he was pretty bad in the second half last year. Yes, he struggled against curveballs in that second half or breaking pitches in that second half. Uh, but it's such a small sample. I'm going to take the three years of over $30 production that Jose Ramirez has put together um, the last three years, each of the last three years. I'm not going to get too cute overreacting to a late season sample when really his numbers really weren't that bad. I've seen a couple of things out there that if you prorate his last two months that were that were down um, a pretty damn good, uh, you know, year 162 game number. So I have no reservations taking Jose Ramirez as the third hitter off the board. I think the fall, if you're grabbing him in the middle round, uh, the first round, that's uh, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I was just curious your thoughts there because I've seen it all over the place, but it also kind of coincides, like you said, all the different podcasts and, and articles you can read. Like that top 20, you you can hear an argument for almost all of them, and it makes sense on how it all kind of goes together based on, like you said, you had your your plan in place, your first five-round plan. You got Scherzer. You went Blackman, Carrasco, Kane, Puig, and your top five picks. And I believe in your write-up that you had on this was one of the better write-ups I've seen on kind of draft strategy that was what you were kind of aiming for in, in the top five. Am I right? 
Yeah, pretty much. So what I did is I took the the ADP kind of leading up to that draft and basically put that in a snake form, um, color code different, different not not different positions, but different category guys. So I, I just kind of took a look at okay, six pick. Um, coming back to me, the 25th pick, then the 36th pick, what are my options there in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds? Because that will um, play a role in my earlier picks. So if I know, for example, that I really don't like the power hitters in rounds three and four, I'm going to be more inclined to to take a power bat first and take some of those other guys later in the third and fourth round. So it wasn't just a, oh, six pick, let me look at ADP and see which guy I like the best in a vacuum. It's let's take a look at the first four or five rounds, see where those pockets of categories are and, and draft accordingly. And that worked out really well. I knew, for example, that I could grab Lorenzo Cain most likely in the fourth round to get some speed. I I knew I had a chance at Carrasco at 36, and uh, and he's my number five pitcher, uh, four or five pitcher off the board um, this season. So being able to kind of map out map out not just my first round, my second round, but the whole you know first handful of rounds as a system uh, worked out really well because you can you can really you know your early picks depend on your late picks and, and build it that way. Yeah, no, and I like that a lot. It's it's kind of a a strategy that makes sense, but not many people do. And if you just have that little extra time to do it it allows you to kind of bob and weave where you have to, because as we will get into your, your later drafts, you have to do a lot more bobbing and weaving as more information has come out and the sharks start swimming a little harder. So um, it gets really, really interesting there. When you were um, going through this draft, uh, I know again, it was early, um, a lot of big names in here. What were some of the things that you noticed that were say maybe a lot different than your normal drafts where you're not just in a, a pool of experts? Yeah. So in this, yeah, in this draft, there, there were a few, a few guys who, um, you know, weren't in, weren't as tuned into the early ADPs as, as some others. Um, I'm a big NFBC player. I look at that data almost all the time and to have different uh, perspectives from, from different folks, for example, Joe Sheehan, who is probably my fa- favorite baseball writer, um, and subscribe to his newsletter, by the way, um, he was in the league, his, his return to fantasy. He, did not look at ADP. Um, No right or wrong to that, but you're just going to get different picks out of those uh, types of players that, that don't uh, slave to the ADP that early. So that kind of threw a wrench in things. There were some unexpected picks, but in general labor went, I think pretty, pretty much as I kind of thought it would, you're always going to have some surprises, but this is a group where I've seen, obviously I'm new to the league, but I've seen a lot of these drafters in in other drafts and and had a feel for what they're going to do. Okay. Um, what were some of the players, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to go through your whole roster, but what were a couple guys that maybe in the later rounds that you were very happy that fell to you? Um, I, I kind of liked Matt Barnes at the time in the 21st round. I still have no idea what, uh, what Boston's going to do with their, with their closer role. If you would have told me a month ago in labor that it, basically be the same as it is now as it was then um, I'd be surprised he was my third closer so I grabbed Wade Davis and Ken Giles in rounds 10 and 11 um, so I like that grabbed Delano to Shields in the 24th round uh, basically a complete recency bias play to Shields was like almost a top 100 pick at the end of draft season last year just had a terrible year but the speed skill still there uh, obviously the plate skills are are okay he strikes out all the time but uh, the 24th round, if, if he hits, if he even leads off in Texas, that, that could work out. Um, 
a couple of guys that haven't worked out so far, Ramel Tapia. I'm huge on him. Grabbed him in the 27th round. Just kind of not, you know, hoping that David Dahl gets hurt in spring training. I wouldn't wish injury on anybody, but, <laughs> but, uh, fourth outfield. Exactly. We have seen it before. Um, and in general, fourth outfielders, I love speculating on those guys because, uh, you know, there's three past the playing time, especially if they can play center field. So Tapia, I grab, but he, he, he may be one of the first cuts if um, if Toppy is not playing early on in the season. Uh, similar type of thing, Eric Thames was my 29th pick, my last pick in labor, just because all it takes is an he- Jesus Aguilar injury, Ryan Braun injury, um, Lorenzo Cain inj- in- injury. Um, he can play first in outfield. So try to grab those guys with skills and multiple pass to playing time. So far it hasn't worked out. No one's gotten hurt yet, but, uh, but I'll hold on to him for a little longer and see what happens. But that's just good, like, you know, advice when people are taking those late picks because some guys don't know what to do with that. And and it makes sense. Like, I got lucky. I'm looking here. Ryan McMahon went in round 20 to um, Joe Sheehan, a guy you were already talking about. And TGFBI got him around 28 because that just like that month different in draft time. Now that like he might not have a job, Garrett Hampson's coming. So he drops. And now all of a sudden you might have another spot. But I took him there. And the same idea of like you with Tapia, you know, if, if one thing breaks the right way, then here you go. So th- that that's a way for people to kind of look at their late picks. I know we're we're wrapping up draft season uh, this weekend, so there's something to think about when, when you're going in there. Is you don't have to just go shoot for the moon and go, "Hey, give me you know the Fernando Tatis Juniors of the world that really have a longer shot at making playing time." Look for these guys that are just really really close to making it happen. So I like that a lot. I like your Jeff Samarja pick at 28. It's not even being a homer. That's just um, I think he's an innings eater with some big strikeout upside. And that Steven Souza Junior pick I like quite a bit as well. Um, a lot, yeah, a lot to like here. Overall, um, I think uh, it was Steve Gardner who runs labor, or someone came out with uh, you know the projections to see who would be leading this league. Weren't you number one, Mister Bloomfield? I, I, I was up there. I got the kiss of death. I don't want to be. I want to be number two. I don't want to be. Want to be number one? There, all eyes on me, and you have to tweet it out and say, "Look how good I am." But, but yeah, um, it was a good draft. I, I enjoyed it. And so far, again, since this was over a month ago, no major injuries to the, to the crew, especially Scherzer and Carrasco up top. My, my, my fate kind of hinges on those two right shoulders. So uh, keep my fingers crossed here uh, before opening day. Yeah, that's always a massive like scare of drafting early and stuff like that. But uh, if it works out, it works out. Now let's move on to Tout Wars. Um, took place this past weekend in New York City. First off, why don't you let everybody know which league you were in and the uniqueness behind it? Yeah, so I was in the Tout Wars head-to-head auction, and it's a points format. I have played, I've actually got into fantasy baseball with a points format that heavily weights starting pitching and have had a lot of success in that um, over the years, drafting starter, starter, starter to start. Um, the, the any points league, and I wrote this up at, at Baseball HQ today when I did my my draft recap. You can basically throw any of the conventional rotisserie wisdom out the window with a points league. It doesn't matter if you get steals early, or if you don't get saves, or if um, you don't load up on power. Points are points, and by far the most important thing to do in a points league is to really, and this isn't really earth shattering, but look at your point scoring system. Um, that matters more than any kind of player evaluation. Um, formulating a strategy around that league's point system is, is really important. And I think in, in fantasy baseball, I'm not a huge fantasy football player, but there are 
format football. In baseball, there's not. Like every league is almost different, and and you really have to, you know, be in touch with what those points leagues are, what the categories are, and how much points you're getting for each guy. No, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you were doing a snake style draft. That's one many people are accustomed to. This was an auction, as you said, and it, it was a head to head mixed league. How do you go into an auction, and and how does obviously you have to know prices and whatnot? But how does that differ in your approach in an auction than a snake draft? Um, I, I love going into it with an auction because you just have so much more flexibility on the things you want to do. So what I wanted to do going into the, the Towers head-to-head league, since I ran the points into, into Baseball HQ's projections, what I saw after adjusting for replacement level value was that closers were being valued or projected for more points above replacement than a lot of the ace closers. Um, so, or sorry, so the A starters. So for example, um, I had guys like Brad Hand, Edwin Diaz, Felipe Vasquez worth more than Carlos Carrasco, Blake Snell, just because of the scoring system. Most, most baseball leagues have point leagues have one point per out. Tout Wars was one point per inning. Uh, last year, Tout Wars was one point per out. And then they, they almost kind of overcorrected this year. And so starters, the value for starters really went down. So I went into the went into the auction with a plan to draft five closers. Um, and that's what I did. It, it's a little harder to do in a snake draft because you kind of have to draft those five closers in five consecutive rounds if you want to get the good ones. In an auction, I spent um, – $20 each on my top three and then like 15 to 10 on my fourth and fifth. So the auction just gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of what you want to do with your squad and then, and, and execute it. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like when you're in a, a snake style draft, you can't always get the guys you want and in an auction, you're not going to get them all, but you have a chance to get who you want, exactly. which, which is always nice. Is that basically is what you were saying there. So you went with this, this closer strategy, obviously, like you said, based on the point system, you have Felipe Vasquez, Craig Kimbrell, which I like the gamble, especially it's not an only league. Uh, Kenley Jansen, Wade Davis, Brad Hand. Um, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> like, it was bad. So, like, those, and those were my first five pitchers. No one really caught on to what I was doing. And I thought, I thought other people would try and go like all closers. Um, no one really else did. I think one other team drafted four, um, a couple with three, but I was the only one with five. And I basically started out Jansen, Vasquez, Kimbrell, Davis, Hand. And it was I funny. It. Um, so this the, the head-to-head auction is done at, at SiriusXM headquarters in, in Times Square. And there's a couple breaks. And after the second break, um, or when the second break just started, the, the guys came running out of the SiriusXM broadcast booth. Uh, hey, Bloomfield, we need to talk to you. <laughs> drag, me, drag me into the, the principal's office and uh, – asked me what the hell I was doing. And I, I, I explained, I mean, I, in points leagues, it's all about mm-hmm. points, but also points above replacement. So you need to normalize it. I mean, everyone has to start nine pitchers. You have to get 950 minimum innings. Um, so even if pitchers aren't worth as much as hitters. So the, the kind of the story is that Max Scherzer from a raw points perspective is worth basically as much as like a mid tier hitter. I've got That's Max crazy. Scherzer. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's different. Yeah. Max Scherzer, I've got roughly around like Hunter Renfro, Nico Goodwin, Mitch Moreland in terms of raw points. Um, but you got to start nine pitchers. So when you when you factor it against replacement level, he gets pumped up quite a bit. But uh, but that was my that was my strategy. I, that's where I saw the market inefficiency. And I, I took five closers. I would go all closers if I could. But 
um, you got to get those innings. So I, I don't want to uh, fall short. That's what I was going to ask. You have uh, your starters are Wood, Alex Wood, uh, Joe Musgrove, Dylan Bundy, <laughs> Domingo Herman, and I get it. And they're actually for the prices you got f- for those guys, you you spent a total of eight bucks, and those are like four legit. They're going to get innings for you. Um, you get like Dylan Bundy's a, an interesting one because you never know, but the, the talents there, and, and Herman should start the year in the rotation. He's really really good. Um, do you think you're going to have an issue getting to 950 innings? I don't. I don't think I'll have an issue getting to 950. I'm a little worried about the quality of uh, of of some of those innings from the starters. Yeah, I got some pretty good prices on some of those guys, but uh, it's a 12 team league, so you're gonna get. And that was also factored into my my kind of strategy. There's a whole pool of of starters with upside in a 12 teamer. Even in the reserve drafts, I got John Gray, Zach Eflin, Lois Sega, Derek Holland. Um, so I, I'm not too worried about hitting the. 950 innings if i have to kind of quote unquote tank a week and go all starters and just say if i'm playing a weak team or um you know i need to build up innings maybe just go all starters for that week get to my 950 and then in the playoffs this is a playoff league then go full-on closer might do something like that but uh but no i'm not too worried about hitting the 950 i just want my my starters to be uh above zero and not get me negative points and, and that's a good point, being head-to-head and being the format where it's basically three points per week in theory. When right. it all comes down to it, you can totally adjust things based on matchups, based on opponents, uh, talent pool, I guess, you're facing, and other things like that. So it makes it really interesting because you got some upper echelon closers. The, the last thing I want to ask you on this pitching, because it's really cool and I can't wait to see how this plays out this year because it's basically you took what the format gave you and you you played to it. And, and that's part of fantasy. Like they always tell you when you enter a draft, you better know the league format before you draft. Like there's so much to be said about that because each thing has a little – a lot of leagues have little intricacies to them. Um, how long did it take you from once you got invited, you looked at the format to go, I'm going this way? Uh, yeah, not not long at all. Uh, <laughs> right when I saw the point system come out that – the, the top folks were, you know, they were very transparent. This is what changed from last year. Here's the new scoring system. Uh, the, the downside of that was I couldn't really use last year's results as a barometer going forward just because of the change in value to, uh, to starting pitching and innings. But uh, I knew pretty much right away, once I plugged those points into, into HQ's projection system, um, normalized it against a, a replacement level value for hitters and for pitchers separately, got those dollars values based on that. Once I saw that, uh, um, that a lot of closers were valued more than the Carrasco, Snell, Bauer tier, that's what I was going to do. And I would just hope that no one else caught on to it. Um, and, and we'll see. I think that was the right play. There were other, a lot of other interesting strategies here. A lot of people did go heavy on starting pitchers. Um, some people punted pitching altogether. So Paul Spore, who obviously knows his pitching and can and can run that end game better than anybody else in this industry, he basically completely punted all pitchers. I think he spent uh, like less than twenty dollars on pitching, a ninety to ten split. Jake Seeley did something similar, and Jake won the league last year. So it was cool to see a, a few different uh, strategies in, in the room, and it became pretty apparent about halfway through what 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 people were doing. Everyone was mocking me out for uh, for drafting so many damn closers, but it was I fun. It. it was a good group of good group of folks. 
I love it. Yeah, and it is a really good group. A lot of like uh, you have Ralph Lifshitz right by you. Have, you have Chamberlain. So a lot of uh, new guys in the league also. So it's kind of cool to see that. You obviously had the um, the monster of last year, Mr. Clay Link in there, which is always entertaining. Um, he really is dominated last season. When it comes to your bats, uh, you you have some very, very good bats and some very nice cheapies. Uh, you went like a Abreu at first base, Arenado and, Ar- and, and Rendon too, your, your big-time purchases there, and Charlie Blackman. Uh, Blackman was on your labor team as well. Um, what is it you're seeing in Blackman this year that, you know, two years ago he just tore the cover off the baseball. Last year was good but not as good. What are you seeing in Blackman this year? Uh, I see. Bla- I think Blackman's extremely undervalued. I, I think he's a back-end first-round pick, and he's not going until the mid to late second round. What I see in Blackman, yeah, he's, a, he's 33. Um, last year was a down year. But he's been just as consistent as anybody. Still playing in core, still has a great lineup. Like, I don't think – he's on the decline at all um we've got h at hq we've got him valued the last four years 36 dollars, 36 dollars, 43 dollars in 2017 and then all the way down to 30 dollars. if that's his low point i'm all over blackman and was, was stoked to get him in labor and and obviously stoked to to grab him in, in uh in tout wars I like the five category production and this was a theme in, in labor as well. I don't want to grab those kind of rabbit guys, those Malik Smiths um, who are just all steals. I want to kind of chip away at it with, you know, a 10, 15, 20 stolen base guy, a few of those guys at a time. And, and Blackman fits that mold uh, so well. So with a five category production, you can basically build anything off you want, anything that you want off of that uh, foundation. So I'm all in on on Blackman. I I think he's a he's, he's a late first rounder this year. Uh, looking at some of your value buys here, and then we'll, we'll go along. You know, dollar catchers. That's what you see a lot here. But yeah. Johnny VR for six bucks, I think, is ridiculous. Jose Peraza for five bucks. Anderson Simmons for seven. He even will give you a few steals. You got Adam Eaton for a dollar. You locked up a ton of steals, super cheap. Were you rather surprised it came that cheap? Not really. Uh, the 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 steals. So you get two points for a steal, and you lose a point for a caught stealing. So you kind of get one for a net. Um, so that kind of knocks the value on some of those speedsters. Like VR in a normal Roto twelve team league will go nowhere for six dollars. Um, it's just because, and also strikeouts. You get a you get a negative half point. Uh, for striking out. So someone like VR who, who K's a lot, yes, he walks and you get a point for that, um, is devalued a little bit. So VR at six looks really good. It, it, I, I had him valued for like 12 or 13. Yeah. So I'll take that all the time. But, uh, but it's a little different in that the speed guys weren't, you know, totally overvalued. Andrelton Simmons was a guy I love in a points format because dude seriously never strikes out. So you're not going to get uh, those negative days, and uh, and he's going to put the ball in play. So really liked a lot of those buys. And again, in a 12-team, like your replacement-level hitters are are going to be pretty good. So I, I wanted to do a stars and scrubs type approach. Really, the entire room did that as well. So I did have to kind of overpay for Nolan Arenado at 37. I had him at like 35. But I, I grabbed three $30 players, and uh, I would do that again in a 12-teamer all day. Yeah, that's what I like to see because that's why I want to get your your input there. Is you don't see a lot like in the, some of the fifteen teamers, you don't see a lot of thirty dollars guys like that, or in the only drafts you see a couple, but not you're not loading up on them as often. Um, last question I have for you: Who was a player or a couple of players that you were all in on, and someone's swanted them a little more than you? Um, Besides, like Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I really wanted to grab Edwin Diaz. Obviously, oh, that would have fit your like, format perfectly. Yes. Would have fit my <laughs> would have fit it perfectly. But just the way that the auction shook out. So Kenley Jansen was like the fourth pitcher off the board, and I took him at twenty three dollars. And Edwin Diaz went for over thirty. So I didn't want to, and I had him valued at like thirty three. But I didn't want to blow that much money that early on closers. Um, I wanted to kind of mine that next tier of closers a little bit more. So um, wanted to uh, wanted Diaz, but but couldn't uh, couldn't pull the trigger that early. So he was definitely one who 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 kind of slipped away because my strategy was so unorthodox. Like I was kind of the only person who aggressively going after closers. So I kind of had my free reign. And then in the end game with with starting pitching. It was just, you know, picking up the scraps and grabbing whoever's left. So it wasn't really challenged there either. So it was kind of a stress-free auction, just kind of hoping that uh, that people wouldn't think I'm totally nuts for, for getting those five closers. I love it. I love it. Um, lastly, any tips you have for maybe some first-time auction people going into this weekend, big dr- the final draft weekend, like, you know, if uh, ideas on throwing guys out or anything, any, any, any tips you got there? Um. Yeah, I, I think one my my biggest thing that I love to do in auctions, and this is really for uh, for in season, but you can tell who people like in an auction. And if you're in a bidding war with somebody, especially in a trading league, if you're in a bidding war with somebody, I always write down who I outbid to get that player because I know later in the season that whoever I whoever I beat out for that player probably likes them. So if I'm going, you know, twenty eight, twenty nine on Anthony Rendon, thirty one, thirty two. Um, I'm definitely writing down that the person who I just beat out for Anthony Rendon likes Anthony Rendon. And if I need to trade him later on, um, I know exactly who I'm going to first. So that's one of the things I always do in auctions is to write down um, who I just beat out. That has worked very well for me um, in the past. That's outstanding stuff right there. All right, let's go to the NFBC now. So you've done labor, you've done tout, you've had some big ones. Now it's the main event. This is where the yeah. big boys come to play. Seventeen hundred dollars to get in, so you're not messing around. It, it's go time. Um, what did you do? Anything different to prepare for this than your other drafts? Um, I I made a point to get some sleep the night before. <laughs> so, <laughs> this, this, this Towers weekend, man. So I flew in Thursday night, red eye. Landed Friday morning. Had my took a took a little nap Friday. Had my Towers H two H. Draft Friday night, went to Foley's after the the head to head auction, and then uh, and then had the main event Saturday at one o'clock. If I drink too much at Foley's the night before, it's not going to be too good. So I I, <laughs> I took it easy, kind of kind of called it a night around midnight, got a good night's sleep because uh, yeah, the main event was was a different animal. Um, as you said, seventeen hundred bucks to get in. Um, I had some bankroll built up from last year, so that that helped a lot with it with the entry fee. But it was a lot different atmosphere than Tout Wars. Tout Wars, the auction was almost more of like a home league, just because this is a very tight knit industry. I knew a lot of the lot of the people I was competing against, um, either from online or in First Pitch Arizona. It was very very friendly, very cordial. Jeff Erickson was making puns after every single not Jeff, uh, yeah, no. very, very Jeff Erickson level puns as well. <laughs> after every player. So it was just very kind of, you know, almost like a home league. And then you step into the main event and that thing is, is all business. Um, a lot of money on the line. I didn't really know too many people in the room. So there were three drafts going on at the same time um, in this kind of giant ballroom. We were in the middle 
draft. The only guys I really knew in my league were uh, was Matt Modica, who's a fantastic mm-hmm. player. Um, he was he was staring at me from across the table, and uh, so that With was those fun. eyes. You must have been terrified. <laughs> exactly. And then there's just these high stakes names you hear of that uh, you know Hall of Famers and that sort of thing, and you're just intimidated. So it was definitely a, a, a much different atmosphere. Very serious. And, uh, with it, I've never, I'd never done a, a straight draft live before. Um, the only drafts I've done have been auctions live and, uh, it's a little nerve wracking. So you basically just go around this table and all 15 people are staring at you ready to make a pick. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was intense. For someone that's never been in the main event, how long are you on the clock for? How long do you get? Right. So you basically get a minute for each pick. Um, And there's a guy in the in the middle of this kind of U-shaped table setup going around with an iPad. And he's basically just standing in front of you for a minute (laughs) (laughs) waiting for you to make your pick. And I got sniped hard in the third round, got sniped hard in the sixth round and the 12th round. And I took that full minute. And it was like the longest minute of my life because uh, he gives you a he gives you a thirty second warning and then down to fifteen and you're just like yelling a name out. So you yell out the name and then the guy running the running the draft puts it in the iPad and walks over to the next guy and just goes in a big circle. It was it was it was very well run. I will say that too. Um, the NFBC guys do a do a great job with it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, and being the main event and being that there's an overall prize and your league prize, I've had a lot of people like in in my my website Slack chat and this other guys ask me like, what's what? Like they see guys posting an FBC ADP and they see all these different deals and they want to know like, why does this guy jump up early and why do people do this and that? Can you kind of explain a little bit sitting in that room and like I looked at the main event ADP last night and there's a lot of things that stood out to me just going over these for the last few months. The differences. What is it that makes people kind of adjust and maybe jump a guy earlier or some guys fall more and whatnot in this kind of format? Yeah, that, that was by far the biggest thing I learned. I had heard just from talking to folks that, that have been in the main event to, you know, throw ADP out the window. Everybody says that. It's almost kind of a, <clears throat> kind of a cliche at this point. But, uh, but people really do pick whoever the hell they want, uh, whenever the hell they want. Um, and so that was good and bad. Um, you know, you love it when certain guys go way early and you're not on them at all, right? That's a, uh, that, that's a win in my league. It just seemed like everyone that I was on was getting pushed up and maybe it just always seems that way, but it was very difficult to adapt to that. You kind of, and I talked about this back in labor, you kind of try and map out your first five rounds. Uh, for me, that went to hell after the third round because people were just taking <laughs> whoever they wanted to. Um, and these guys do a lot of research. I mean, these guys are serious players and they don't care about, you know, and rightfully sh- right, rightfully so. They, they think they're smarter than the average NFBC player, and they probably are. So they're taking whoever they want. All right. So when you put your KDS in, did you get the pick you wanted or how far off were you? No, I got the rookie, uh, the rookie shaft. So I, I almost went one through 15. I had a couple, um, I pushed up number six, number eight, just because I've had those in, in previous drafts. Um, I got the 11th draw, which, you know, was fine, but, uh, but that's where I ended up. And, and at 11, it was tough. I, I kind of had a, real big top 10 that I wanted and was hoping one of those guys would, uh, would slip out. 
So now that you sent me your um, your roster, and for those that are wondering, I'm sorry, but these aren't online, but you can look at the ADP. And now looking at this, look at the ADP in front of me. You're one of the ones that got J.D. Martinez at the 11th pick, which I was tweeting last night was one of the better bargains I've seen. I'm very big on J.D. I can see how other guys jump ahead of him. I get it. But I think his talent and the overall production outside of steals he brings is insane. So was he one of the top 10 you were looking at? Or is he like, okay, well, I didn't get any of those. Let's take J.D. No, J.D. was probably like my number five player. Yeah. So like, yeah, when he fell, I, I actually, I, I was planning around getting Jacob DeGrom. I really wanted DeGrom at, at 11. I wasn't sure if he was going to make it. DeGrom ended up going 10, but I was not expecting J.D. Martinez to be available. He was available because Trevor Story went ninth. Um, overall. And again, that's an example of throwing out, you know, yeah. throwing ADP out the window. Not a bad pick. I mean, that's your guy. Trevor Story's not going to be available probably back in the second round. So Story got pushed up and that gave me JD Martinez. I was happy with it. I don't know if he fell because he's had some back issues this spring. Um, if that's starting to scare people off with his age, but I'm not too worried about it. JD's playing in games and DHing. So, uh, I'm going to take that uh, take that every time at number 11. I, I was pretty stoked to have him fall. Yeah, I would have been over the moon with that. That would have been like, okay, that's an easiest pick. I'll probably make the entire day. Uh, let's move on. You went Cole and Bueller. So you said your top yeah. three kind of went as planned. Um, when did things start going south? And, and then how uh, how close to your overall, like your end game, you see your your roster you have, which is very solid, how close is it to kind of an ideal Ryan Bloomfield roster or how much of it was like, Oh, I had to bob and leave so much. We made it work, but it's not there. Yeah. There were definitely a couple of guys who I wouldn't normally get. Like I, I grabbed Matt Carpenter in the seventh round and I, it's my first share of Matt Carpenter. That's not a guy that I'm really in on, but Jose Abreu got taken the pick before me uh, sniped in the seventh there. And that was one of those moments where everyone's staring at me for a full minute and I just have to make a pick, um, followed that up with, and this is kind of my main takeaway from, from the main, I followed that up with Craig Kimbrell, who was my first closer. And I just hope the guy signs, uh, it's a mixed league. It's not going to take Kimbrell that long to get ramped up probably four or five appearances, but we are getting to the point where he needs to yes. get on board with somebody or else I'm, I'm going to start to be concerned. And it's kind of funny like that. And I took Archie Bradley as my second closer. I, I hope he gets the job. I think he will, but I don't know for sure that those two guys are iffy. And that kind of was in the back of my mind in the end game where it's like, man, this team better work out if, uh, Kimbrell and, and and Bradley need to be in that closer role. So, um, and it's just, I mean, it's the room, you know, closers, closers went earlier than normal, probably didn't adjust as I, I normally should, but that's the way it is in the main. It's, it's, it's a bloodbath. Yeah. Uh, closers are definitely going earlier. If Kimbrell, if Kimbrell pans out, that's a steal, but I'm with you. It's kind of scary uh, to see how that all goes, but I, I really like where it went, you know, a two catcher league, getting a guy like Posey early, does have some validity to it. Um, looking back on all three Jeffs, all three were different in their own rights. What are you going to kind of do differently going next year? We'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out this year first. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. My, uh, I mean, my main strategy this, this year was been pretty consistent across all my drafts was to load up on two starters early. I really, really like the, 
top 15 pitchers. I think there's a, there's a, I think there's a big drop off. I think I'm in the minority here, but I, I really don't like a lot of the round five through seven pitchers at their draft cost. I think, uh, you know, and what I've done pretty much throughout is skip that tier entirely. Go to two aces early. Those guys tend to bring a better return on investment. Um, that's been kind of proven at, at HQ over the last 10 or so years. We call it the Santana plan. It's named after Johan Santana. Like it's that, <laughs> it's that old. Uh, but those, those guys generally retain their value better. So that was a big thing. I wanted to get some students. And I got Kane to fourth. And then I just noticed in this year's player pool, there's a lot of power in the middle rounds. It, it might come with a little bit of runs and RBI risk or some batting average, but uh, that's when I really wanted to focus my efforts and get guys who, who could give some pop in the middle rounds. So that was my general MO um, pretty much throughout my three drafts this, uh, this preseason. All right. Uh, if you have to rank these three drafts, from favorite to least favorite, what th- like team-wise, not drafts experience, but team-wise, who's your favorite, second favorite, and, and least favorite? Yeah, it's kind of – I think Labor's my my favorite team uh, just because I, I loved my draft when I, when I finished. A lot of people do. But, again, nobody's gotten hurt in that month since then. So I, I really like where I'm at with Labor. Probably then Tout and then Maine. Um, which is kind of interesting because when I ran the numbers on my main event team versus labor, my main event team projects out better according to baseball HQ's uh, projections. But getting sniped a few times in the early rounds and that closer uncertainty that I talked about, it's kind of weird. Just psychologically, like I don't have as good of a feeling on that team as I do in labor. Um, can't really explain why. But uh, sometimes it just works out that way. Sometimes the, the, the drafts you don't like or the picks that you think were just desperation picks that you took down to the last 10 seconds, sometimes those guys work out better than the, uh, than the no-brainers that, uh, that happened earlier in the draft. For sure. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of pivot off of these three main drafts. I know you've, you've been doing some more drafting most likely. You know, you always hear guys say it, and there's articles all over the place, your guys and then guys you don't have or guys you wanted to have, so on and so forth. Let's Give, give me a, a three of the your guys that, that you're going to have a lot of exposure to on your teams this year. I think I've taken Brian Dozier in every single draft I've been in, honestly. Um, ADP's at like 138 throughout draft season, and I just think last year was an injury-fueled disaster. And a year off and off season to help heal. Dozier was one of the most consistent players in baseball the previous four years. Um, gets you that double digit homers, double digit steals. I think there's a lot of rebound potential. I love that he landed in uh, in Washington, and I think he's being severely underdrafted. This is a guy who's averaged 25 bucks the last four years in value and is going outside the top 100. So I've been taking him rounds eight through 10, roughly in, in a lot of my drafts. Um, another one's Carlos Carrasco took him in labor. He's a number, again, like I said, my number four or five starter. I think he's better than a Blake Snell, a, a Trevor Bauer, a, a Verlander. Even I think Carrasco is, is legit. And then a probably a third guy, not sexy at all, but he's cheap. He plays everywhere. That's a Struble Cabrera. I got him in um, the main event in the, let's see. 15th round and just love the flexibility dude puts up $15 every year and you know there's not much of a ceiling there but uh, I'm taking that position flexibility all day and especially in a league like NFBC where you don't have a DL um, you've only got 
seven reserve spots, you need some flexibility. So as Drupal is on a lot of my teams this year. Yeah, I, I love his Drupal. When he got traded, I wrote an article on just, you look at his consistency year after year after year, he just gets it done. And going into a ballpark like Arlington is not going to hurt. I'm with you on Carrasco. I literally, I know you know, I'm drafting as we record. and But, but beforehand, my first pitcher off the board, I took Carrasco ahead of Snell and Bauer. So I, I'm with you on Carrasco. I have him on a couple squads now. So so big fans there. My number one guy is Victor Robles. I am expecting big things of him. The helium has has, has risen, which really, really hurts. But I think you've got, you know, 25-plus steal potential with this kid with some power. Depends on where he gets set up in the lineup, obviously. But the tools are there. The skills are there. And I think he's in for a big, big year. Lots to like there with Victor Robles. So uh, those would be kind of three guys for me. Um, who are some of the players you just won't have anything to do with at all? So it's kind of funny you ask that because this is a story actually from labor. Uh, I think, you know, there are guys that I'm quote unquote out on. So like I'm out on Chris Sale this year. I just don't trust the injuries. Um, I don't trust the innings total. I'm not going to take him. I'm not going to take Ozzy Albies. He's another guy who I just think is being overvalued. But the takeaway is that everybody has a price. Like you can be out on somebody, but like, if Chris Sale is available in the fourth round of a draft, maybe I am taking Chris Sale at that point in the draft. This happened in labor. So I was also, or so I thought, out on Gary Sanchez. Um, just because, you know, I don't like the, his draft price. I kind of he's, he's kind of out of sight, out of mind for me in my draft prep. Well, Gary Sanchez fell to 99 overall in labor. And I didn't even, I took Nelson Cruz two picks before, uh, or maybe 98th overall, but either way, um, I took Nelson Cruz two picks before Gary Sanchez, not even really knowing Sanchez was available because again, I I'm out on him and I wasn't thinking. So I think the takeaway there is always be open to taking anybody at any time. You never know when someone's going to fall and you actually will be in on someone that you're out on that I've, that's happened to me a couple of times. And that definitely played out in labor. And and Jeff got a uh, Jeff Erickson got a, a fantastic value on that. Gary Sanchez is, has a fifty one ADP in the main event, and uh, and Jeff got him for double that at labor. Yeah, I remember Jeff talking about that on one of their podcasts. That uh, he he's not a Gary Sanchez guy either. But the right. fact you know when it, when it falls, it falls. And I'm with you. Like I've said that many times doing uh, uh, the positional previews and other things. Is like Javi Baez is a guy I will have nothing to do with. Right. That's the, the, the price tag. Like I respect the skills and like, I always have to preface it. It's, it's nothing against Javi Baez. I think he's really good and his numbers will be okay, but where he's going in drafts, I think it's just lunacy because there's going to be some regression. There has to be, unless he's, I call him a unicorn, unless he's the next Vlad Guerrero senior where he can swing at anything and make it work. Then, then so be it, but I won't be there to watch him. So like Javi Baez is a guy. I agree with Chris sale. I'm really concerned about those. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is another one. Um, he is starting to fall, though. So it comes back sure. to that story. It's like, you know, I, I think he's going around like, was it 74, 75 in the main event? You at least have to consider that at that point in time. Because like 150 Clayton Kershaw innings is better than a lot of other 150 pitch innings in that in that realm of, of 74. So it, it's tough. I still don't want anything to do with Kershaw, but it's interesting. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you can, yeah, you can say you're out on somebody, but it's all against the market. 
the market is everything. And if Javi Baez, I'm also out on Baez in the first round. Like, I don't think he's, he's up there at all. But if Javi, if the rest of my league is out on him and it's coming back in the third round and he's still there and the aces are gone, like, maybe yep. I'm taking a shot. So um, I think, yeah, just keep an open mind. Guys you're out on at least keep tabs on them. Um, see if they fall because you can, you can grab some value that way. I like this last one, the names you have down here. Who are some of the players you are bummed you have none of yet? Because how many drafts have you done so far? I have done seven. So, okay, these are yeah. two guys you have none of. Tell me who they, tell yeah. them who they are. So they're both third basemen. Um, they're both, I think, top five first basemen. I think Anthony Rendon is one of them. I think he's the number two uh, third baseman. I think he's that good. I just don't have any shares of them. A lot of that is because I've had a just the way straight drafts work out. I've had a lot of middle um, and early round picks, which is fine. Uh, I'm not going to complain, but where Rendon's going is kind of late third, early fourth. So it just hasn't really happened in the snake where um, he's been available. I got sniped on him, on him in the main event. So I had that, that 11th pick, that 41st pick in the third round. And, uh, and Rendon went 40th. I was going to grab him, but uh, that would have been my only share. The other guy who, again, I think is almost just as good as, as Anthony Rendon is, is Justin Turner. Very similar skill set. Dude just cannot catch a break with injuries. Uh, last year was a fluke injury. He got hit in the hand by, I think it was Kendall Graveman in spring training. And not only missed the first few months of the season, but wasn't himself when he came back. Um, but the last couple months, Justin Turner was Justin Turner again. I'm not giving up on him. Those skills are rock solid. He's got some of the best power batting average uh, tools in the game. So I would say I'm grabbing him everywhere, but I just, uh, I don't know. In the eighth round, I have not grabbed him yet. And I will feel sorry for that because this might be the year of Justin yeah. Turner. Has literally having that discussion with someone about an hour ago. I said, "Is like, are we finally buying in that Justin Turner's healthy?" Because I'm with you 100. percent If he stays healthy, he is top five third baseman, if not higher. Like he's legit that good. It's just it's so hard to you know put that pick out there when at that point in the draft you, you've already made you know seven eight picks or something, and you're trying to kind of fill out certain spots. And you're trying to make those decisions and maybe jump ADP like you were talking about. Is do I gamble on him right now? Now in a main event, an overall prize, that's the kind of guy that could, you know, be the gold. So exactly. I, I'm with I'm with you. He's, he's definitely one that I have no shares of. And in years past, I've not wanted to, but he definitely has my attention more this year. Um, there, there's guys like as his price has kind of fallen a little bit now, I'm starting to get the itch to go on the Adalberto Mondesi train. And I was so against it, but it's like starting to get there where I'm starting to get sad that I don't have him. Um other than that, it's, it's just – yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Everyone's – it's like, you know, last year if you didn't have Ronald Acuna, you were bummed out. Now it's just – and the other guy is Eloy Jimenez. I'm starting to really think I need to get a piece of that action. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, his hit tool, his raw power, and he's going to be up very soon. So You're going to watch MLB Network, and you're going to see him break away to the White Sox game and go, I wish I had a piece of what's about to happen on this next pitch. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, before I send you on your way, Ryan, a, a great episode as always. Why don't you let everybody know what you got going on at Baseball HQ as you guys just – you guys don't stop. We don't. We are all baseball all the time. We started prepping for 2019, uh, literally the day after the regular season in 2018. We start the baseball forecaster for the following year. So it's a nonstop operation over at uh, HQ. 
I put out a speculator column every Wednesday on the site. Um, it is a subscriber site, but my I'm doing kind of a bold prediction type piece coming out next week. That'll be behind or that'll be out of the paywall for everyone to see. Got my labor and, and tout wars recaps. I tried to make it so it wasn't just a you know review of my team because a lot of people don't you know care about your team. I tried to just go through my process. I think process is so important, and I, I hope folks can learn um, from some of that if you're drafting this past weekend. So um, feel free to to get me on Baseball HQ. I'm on Twitter at Ryan BHQ. Pretty much all the time, much to the chagrin of my day job. So <laughs> I'm with you. My day job, you just how much I was on there. They probably fired me. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. But thanks again for joining me, man. Everybody, go check out the work at Baseball HQ. Great stuff they're doing there. The forecaster is a must-buy must every season, and Ryan is a big part of that. So, Ryan, thanks for joining me again, man. I had a great time. Yeah, appreciate it, Bubba. Love what you're doing with the show. The guests you've had on lately are just fantastic. Watch the Eno episode. Watch uh, DVR. Watch watch James Anderson. So you're doing great things here, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. DVR and I have to talk again because he 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 knew the juice. He didn't tell me. I was like I was <laughs> laughing. I was like, God, we could have broke the news. I could have blown up the Twitter. But I he, get it. But uh, he kept it quiet all Tout Wars weekend as well. So that, was, that's an awkward time. I was wondering how quiet that was because, yeah, that's going to be – that's a tough one to sit there and hide when uh, he obviously knows what's going on and and you can't really talk about it. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. But, uh, Mr. Bloomfield, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me, and we will definitely do this again sometime. Sounds good, man. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 155, recapping a ton of expert drafts with the first-time expert drafter, Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ. Catch you guys later.